morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever and whenever you are in the world, thanks for tuning in and listening to the 28th Scottish Field podcast, released on Wednesday, November the 17th, 2021. Thanks for joining us as ever. My name's Kenny Smith and I'm the web editor of Scottish Field. And over the next 25 minutes or so, we'll be telling you all about our latest issue and informing you of a fantastic crime writing competition which you could enter and win £1,000 with Glencairn Glass. Every month, Scottish Field brings you the best of all things Scottish. Heritage, interiors, antiques, gardens, wildlife, motoring, whisky and country news, as well as interviews with famous Scots names. Every year, our December issue highlights the best of the best in Scotland, with our food, places to stay, drinks and incredible items to purchase. And our current issue also features Scotland's national drink as we reveal the winners of the Scottish Field Whiskey Challenge. And joining me to chat about it is my colleague Rosie Morton, but she's going to introduce herself now. Rosie, I am the Chief Sub-Editor of Scottish Field. I believe that you recently enjoyed an evening of whiskey. All in the name of Scottish Field and you were forced to do it for work. Uh, yeah, my hands were tied, really they were. <laughs> so. Uh, yes, so we had the Scottish Field Whiskey Challenge 2021 Awards, which were held at Sheraton Grand in Edinburgh. And it was such a lovely evening. It, it, we were together with a number of our own colleagues, of course, but also with a lot of people who are experts in the whiskey industry. So it was really, really interesting. It was presented by Stephen Jardin. Um, oh yes, so off the telly. Off the telly, off the telly. And yeah, so we were able to sample a few whiskies. I'm trying to get to, I think I've said this before, I, I'm learning to love whiskey. It's part, a massive part of our tradition and our culture and I love that. And just learning more about it and how even things like where the peat has come from, it can <laughs> have such an impact on the flavour. And it's, it's all about, I think they use the word dolchus now, as opposed mm. to terroir, it's for, mm-hmm. you know, for wine. And it's all about how the culture's ingrained in it and as well as the people that made it. It's amazing. So really expansive. But yes, in the magazine, we've got the results, which are really, really cool and quite surprising, some of them. Yes, indeed. But we won't tell our listeners what they are. They've got to buy the magazine to find out what the winners (laughs) are. But Rosie, pick your favourite whiskey. Go. Oh, that's put me on the spot. Do you know, I really enjoyed Abun Habin, 12-year-old. And I think I think it's all about who you're with and what the occasion is. I don't know about you, but I was sitting, when I had Abun Habin, 12-year-old, I was sitting with my brother. And Lewis and I, we very rarely get to meet up. So it was a really special occasion that we were actually in one place at the same time, able to have a drink. And yeah, it was just a lovely, lovely evening. So happy that associate. Works that works What about you? I'm quite happy to go with a smokehead, which is a peated whiskey from Isla, and it's got to have ginger beer in it, which is something I discovered at the Smokehead Feast about three years ago, where there was haggis infused with the smokehead whiskey, and this was one of the things that we tried, and wow, works for me. Wow. So yes, that's what Uh, I'm quite content with, but to be honest, if I was to pick one thing that contains whiskey, it would have to be Magnum the Scottish version of Irish cream and I absolutely love it it's comes in a churn it's just beautifully presented and I love it because I've got such a sweet tooth as you know and we may have mentioned in previous podcasts perhaps well if we're going to upgrade things 
from, well, not upgrade, just change things up a little bit from whiskey to food territory. I mm -hmm. would say it has to be in a similar ilk to what you've just said, haggis bonbons with a whiskey sauce. Oh, you just cannot beat it. Yes. I had those at the Church in the Hill in Glasgow when it reopened a couple of years ago. And my daughter, Katie, would never touch haggis until she tried these bonbons because she didn't know what they were. And <laughs> she just, she's, ever since then, she's loved haggis. So we have a winner. Haggis wins. <laughs> <gasps> That'll be the next thing is Burns Night. Gosh, that is a long way away. But that'll be the next time that we can officially look out haggis with yeah, whiskey. That's amazing. Crikey. I'm gone. It's, it's crazy. But yes, Christmas is coming first. Let's not forget. Yes, let's, let's not go past that. I definitely prefer Christmas over Burns Night. Nothing against Ravi and Haggis and such like. But I like Christmas and I like presents. So, yes. Do you, uh, do you like itchy Christmas jumpers? Well, I do have my, I do have a Christmas jumper, which um, I don't know if you've seen it yet. I don't know if you were with Scottish Hope the last time I wore it. Mm. I don't, no, I don't think I have. No. Oh, well, we'll keep that one for Christmas jumper day when I'm definitely. <gasps> you know, I, I bet I know what it is. Oh, you're right. It absolutely is. It's completely what you think it is. <laughs> what, what do you think it is? Well, judging by the posters that are sitting behind your head at the moment, I'm going to say it might be. Doctor Who related. It is a Doctor Who Christmas jumper. <gasps> I love it. I cannot wait to see it. <laughs> I am so sad. Listeners, that is my other passion, as you may have guessed over the previous episodes, but there we go. So yes, this is oh. all in our December issue, all this and much, much more, which will highlight the best places in Scotland with food, drink, places to stay and amazing items to purchase in our gift guide, as we said. And it's all priced £4.75. And if you want to order a copy, you can pop onto our website and go to www.scottishfuel.co.uk forward slash subscriptions. Rosie, thank you so much for coming on. Lovely chatting with you, as always. Thanks, as ever, to Rosie for joining us. And as we've just said, the current issue of Scottish Field is still available, priced £4.75. To find out more and how to subscribe, just visit www.scottishfield.co.uk forward slash subscriptions. For the past two years, the world's favourite whisky glass, the Glencairn Glass, has featured as headline sponsor of the prestigious McIlvany and Bloody Scotland debut crime writing prizes, celebrating the finest in Scottish crime writing talent. The Glencairn Glass is building on this creative collaboration by launching its very own crime short story competition in partnership with us at Scottish Field. The Glencairn Glass is looking to celebrate up and coming literally talent through this exclusive competition, which is open for entries until the 31st of December this year, inviting all budding crime writers to build their stories around the theme, a crystal clear crime in no more than 2000 words. The judging panel for the inaugural competition will comprise Deborah Masson, 2020 winner of the Bloody Scotland debut crime novel of the year with her book Hold Your Tongue, Peter Ranscombe, Scottish Fields drinks columnist and author of the historical thriller Hair, as well as Glencairn's marketing director Gordon Brown, who has written eight crime novels with his latest 31 Bones, written under the pseudonym Morgan Cry. Gordon is also one of the founding directors of the Bloody Scotland International Crime Writing Festival. Three prizes will be available for the winning trio of authors. The first prize winner will receive £1,000, whilst the two runners-up will each receive £250. All three winners will also receive a set of six bespoke engraved Glencairn glasses to enjoy their favourite dram with. 
The overall winning entry will be published by Scottish Field in spring 2022, as well as on the Glencairn Glass website. And now, joining us to tell more about it all is Gordon Brown from Glencairn. My name's Gordon Brown, although at the moment I'm writing under the name Morgan Cry. I've written eight crime novels and thriller novels to date, but that was until recently my side job, because my main job for years has been marketing, 35 years in marketing, but now I'm nearly full-time as an author. Fantastic. So what began your writing career? Well, I actually started writing when I was really young. It's a kind of stock answer that I liked writing when I was young, and I did. I tried umpty times to write a book and variously failed miserably. My first real attempt was when I was 23 on holiday with a bunch of mates in Greece, and I saw a guy with a backpack in the middle of nowhere and had this story about why he was there. And I started writing. I didn't have anything to write on at all, so I actually borrowed from the waiter, the wee waiter's notepads, you know, the wee tiny ones? Yep. And I wrote the first chapter on four of those. And then I bought a couple of jotters from the local newsagent where we were in Crete. And I wrote on those. And then I, I, it's all handwritten and, and it's rubbish. It's, <laughs> it's, it actually, it, it's one of those things, you, the more you write, the better you get. And I've written a lot. But the real kicker for me was I used to be marketing director at STV back in the late 2000s. And I was finishing a contract with them. I was contracted in. And I said to my wife, I'm going to give it one more go. And I had this idea born of a guy in the 1930s who tried to commit suicide. It sounds a bit dark, it isn't. Tried to commit suicide in the 1930s when he lost all his money on the stock exchange and jumped out a window and only fell one floor. And he survived. And in the 50s, he actually said to his wife, what if, what if, I, what if I had died that day? What, what impact would the world, what impact have I had in the world? And she said, well, ask people. So the first person he asked was his brother. His brother said, well, I wouldn't have met my wife because you introduced me. And our son, who is qualified to be a heart surgeon, think how many people he's saved. And this guy found, by going around everybody, look look at the life, look how I've changed life. A bit like it's a wonderful life. And I had a similar story about a criminal in Glasgow who gets thrown off in the first chapter, doesn't die, and then is on the run from the baddies. That's effectively the story. I sent it off to about, I spent the summer after I finished the STV, wrote it in about three months, edited it in a month and sent it off to four publishers. And lo and behold, one of them picked it up, which is amazing. But usually you send three chapters and a synopsis and then they ask for the rest. They loved it. And when I sent the rest, they asked for a coffee and I was, oh, brilliant, they want to see me. I got along for a coffee and Xander Wedderburn, who was the uh, guy who owned a company called Fledging Press, said, I love the first three chapters, but the rest of it is, and he used a bad word. <laughs> and I went, really? He says, it's full of typos, mistakes, potholes. I went, I thought, no, oh God, that's terrible. And then I realised what I'd done, because I was so excited that a publisher had asked to see the rest of my manuscript, I'd actually pressed send on one from a month before that was completely unedited, and they still gave, so they published it, and that became Falling. So that came out in 2009. So that was the first of the novels come out back then. That's quite incredible. That's, uh, at least you managed to recover from it well. At least you could, I'm sure you were able to style it out. I, I kind of had to... He, say, he said when I read it, I thought, oh, I sent you the wrong one. So that saved me. Had that been the right one, I might have got dizzied. <laughs> <laughs> so how did it grow and develop from there? So I wrote a second book, standalone called 59 Minutes, which is, funnily enough, uh, was based in Glasgow and based in Spain. 
Uh, and that I'll come back to Spain in a minute in terms of how that's played out now in my, my current books. And then after that, I got picked up by an American um, publisher who wanted to publish Falling, a company called Down and Out, a guy called Eric Campbell. He, he, he loves to pick up authors that are quirky for America, either authors in America that have been dropped elsewhere in the States and had a voice he liked, or international authors, especially UK authors, to put books out in the States. And, and he doesn't want to edit them. He's, he wants them as they are. And he he published the first two, 59 Minutes and Falling. And actually, I had to write a third book for him, Falling 2, a sequel, which never came out in the UK. And then what happened was my, my publisher here, I wrote a new book, and my publisher here didn't want it. That happens. And a new publisher picked it up. And actually, that was nothing to do with crime. That was a thriller series starring a guy called Craig McIntyre. And that got me four books out of that. And all of those, bar one, were published in the States as well. But it was a bit psychological, a bit, a bit supernatural. Craig's ability was that if he was in the room with people, if the people had history, he could set them off and they could end up killing each other. Their anger came flowing up. So think of him like an emotional amoeba. He would draw away their restrictions and he became the perfect killer. This is how, how the book ran, i.e. you put him in with Putin and Trump and if they don't like each other, they killed each other. Who could blame anyone but the two that did it? And that, that became a whole series of books. I wrote those up till 2009, I think, was the last one that came out on that. And then, to be fair, I had an idea. And the idea was simple, was we own a, a place out in Spain. And I had an idea for a book amongst the expat community in Spain, the British expat community. I meet a lot of them when I'm out here in Spain. I'm in Spain at the moment. And a lot of them are lovely, but a lot of them have got some strange backstories. I mean, really off-the-wall backstories. And actually, a lot of them, like, they tell you stuff that you should never tell anyone else. So I invented this pub, which doesn't exist in a town that doesn't exist, although it's based in a town called Javier. The town's actually called El Descaro. And in that town, there's a pub. And in that pub, there is a group of expats called the expatriates. And I had this idea about a story about stolen money. That's how it all started out. And I wrote a book, which is now called 31 Bones. And it was picked up by Berlin. Launched it last year. And the sequel was supposed to come out this year, but COVID got in the way. So the sequel, Six Wounds, comes out next year. So I'm now writing as Morgan Cry, not Gordon Brown. And the reason for that is it's a third series. The publisher liked the idea of something clean because it doesn't connect to the other books. And I got the name Morgan Cry. Of all places, it's my dad's name. So Morgan is my dad's name. Cry, I liked because it's criminal. Morgan, because it's my dad. My dad was police for 25 years in Glasgow Police. So hence the kind of criminal aspect. The only downside to doing that is that it's also my youngest brother's name. So I had to do that moment of phoning him up and going, do you mind if I use your name as my author's name? He laughed. He said yes, but he laughed. So that's when I'm at the moment. So I've just, I've just sent away the second book and it's coming out on May the 22nd next year. I take it your brother hasn't asked for a share of royalties since his name's been loaned. He can't really. The problem is my, my, my brother, the one above him, there's four of us, his middle name is Morgan. My dad's name was Morgan. And the reason they're all called Morgan is my grandmother's maiden name was Morgan and she didn't want to lose it. Mm -hmm. So there's more Morgans in our family than makes sense. And there's no <laughs> Welsh connection at all. Brilliant. So why do you think there has been such an explosion in Scottish crime writing and tartan noir over the last 10, 15 years? 
I think you have to go back to where it started. If you go back to, and I would say, it, it, you can go back to, to, to John Buck and you can go back, you can, you can go back to uh, Conan Doyle in terms of what he did with, with Sherlock Holmes. But in terms of Tartan Noir, the real birth will sit with Willie McIlvany in the Laidlaw trilogy. And when Willie wrote that, and I, I, I had the great joy of knowing Willie, I, I met Willie in later life. I'm not sure he ever really understood at the beginning what he'd done. But if you talk to some of the other authors that came after Willie, Ian Rankin, Val McDermott, they will tell you Willie inspired them into doing that. And Willie really wrote the first down at heel, life's no good, alcoholic, things don't go well, dark humour type of story for a detective. He kind of gave birth to that. And if you look at everybody else that followed on and what they've written, and, and I think that that in itself reflects a lot in Scottish society. There's a, the, I think you, you talk about the darkness in Scotland, but you also talk about the fact that Scotland has got a dark sense of humour, which pervades everything. For me, with Tartan Noir, that's one of the twists in that even at the, even at the worst moments, Gallo's humour will just surface. Yeah? And as a result, there's an engagement about that as a reality. You know, People say these things, people do these things. And I think also the grittiness of places like Glasgow, the mysteriousness of places like Edinburgh, even the Highlands, there's something about Scotland, especially around the world, because Tartan Noir spreads everywhere, that's got an attraction. You just have to witness how many people, how many Scottish authors there are. I'm one of the founding board directors in Bloody Scotland, Scotland's Crime Writing Festival. And it was born of an idea to say to people, we should celebrate what we have. There is no festival that celebrates it. And there was a, two authors, Alex Green and Lynn Anderson, that, that originally started down with the idea, but when I got on board, it was a case of, well, why don't we just do this? And you cannot believe how many authors we've had through over the last 10 years. We've had 10 years of the festival. And it's amazing how many new authors appear every year. It's just, and it's, they're still coming on board. You can still see it. Most of the big publishers will have Scottish crime authors on their books. In fact, I think all of them will. And of course, now there's an opportunity for people to try their own hand at it, for those who maybe haven't ever thought about it before with this competition. There is. Well, we're working with, with Scottish Field on, on the competition. And let me go back to the idea. The idea was that, I, as well as an author, I also work with Glencairn Crystal. And Glencairn Crystal make the Glencairn glass, which is the world's favourite whiskey glass. We sell about four million a year around the world. I mean, it's a phenomenal success. And we were looking for something to help us promote more to consumers than businesses. And we got in touch with Bloody Scotland because I'm there. And originally we sponsored the McIlvany Awards, which is the Scottish Crime Writing Awards. And each year we wanted to do something different. So the first year we actually wrote a short story with five me and four other authors that we got published uh, last summer. And when it came to this year, I was saying, well, the truth is we used to do a, a short story competition years and years ago at Bloody Scotland, but it never really quite worked the way we wanted. And what I said is, well, why don't we do a proper one? Why don't Glencairn Glass get involved with it and Glencairn? And we'll issue the challenge to the globe. We'll just say, write as a 2,000 word short story. You can enter on whiskeyglass.com. There's no cost to it. The winner gets a grand and they get their story published in Scottish Field and they get it published online and they'll get mailed around uh, the Bloody Scotland database. And the idea was, let's bring new authors on board because to be fair, one of the things that we've tried to encourage in Bloody Scotland is to encourage new authors. And one of the things the Glen Cairn Glass is designed to do is to encourage people to drink whiskey that haven't drank it before. So therefore, it's a real logical flaw to say, maybe you are an author, maybe you're not, maybe you've been published, maybe you haven't. 
But here's a chance to get your name out there and a piece of work published. So that's where the idea came from. And we had to give it a theme. So it's a crystal clear crime. That, that's the theme. That's the only thing you have to make sure is that somehow there's a connection to the phrase crystal clear crime, which is a bit of a play on Glen and Glass because it's made of crystal, but it's also a bit of fun as well. So what advice would you give to anyone thinking of entering? Short stories are tougher than you think. I've written quite a few. I've written one for the Bloody Scotland Anthology. I've written one for BoucherCon in America, which is the big crime festival. I've written one for the Crime Writers Association. The problem with short stories when you write them is getting rid of the excess baggage that you don't need. Short stories are not about masses of description. It's not about getting lost in, in characters. People want, they want fed quickly. I would always say, I hate to say a short story is fast food and a, a novel is going out for a gourmet meal. Actually, it's not like that. It's more like going to the poshest possible sandwich shop you can go to and ordering the most complicated sandwich, but it all has to fit in your hand and it has to be delicious and you have to love it from first bite to the end. So the couple of things I always think are important in a short story is one is pace, is that you have to keep the interest level high. Dropping at all in a short story kind of loses people. Backstory, et cetera, should be kept to a minimum unless it's really necessary because, you know, just to describe, you don't have to drop into detail. And I also think one of the keys for a short story, I like in a short story is a twist. Something at the end surprises you. It doesn't have to be major, and one of the clever ways, and I love this when I talk to other authors, one of the clever ways to do a twist is if you can make the reader think they've figured it and they haven't is, is a really clever trick. But I think also with short stories, it's sometimes what you'll do is it's only 2,000 words. You might write three or four and then cut it back. Willie McIlvany, who we were talking about earlier, used to have this thing. He used to say he would look at a sentence and if he could take a word out and it still made sense, take the word out. And if you could still take a word out and it still made sense. And his writing is so succinct. And that, for a short story, is really clever. And so, therefore, it's getting rid of the extra stuff because you don't need it in a short story. People read them very quickly. They love them. And for me, that's the secret. And, and also, people have got different ways of writing. I think every day some people will plan it out. I'm not a planner. I would have no idea. I'd have the first line, and that would be it. Every story I've ever written, I've started with a line, and that's been it. But some other people like to plan it out a little bit because they can kind of see where they're going. And I think that's each to their own. There's no right or wrong there. I think the other thing to do is give it to somebody who is not a friend of yours. I know this sounds really odd, but see if, you, if I, I have beta readers who are very honest about my books because you need honesty. You don't need your friends going, oh, I like it. It's really nice. That, that's really, that just doesn't help you. Be brutal and give it to someone outside and take their advice on board. Give it to a couple of people. Because when you're reading it, if, I, if I'm reading it, and the way we're judging this is we're going to have a mass judging to start with, and then we have uh, three main judges that are going to judge the, the actual final entries. They will be looking at that. They will notice if there's typos or mistakes or plot holes, et cetera. It's fairly self-evident really quickly. And also if it doesn't engage you, so actually, part of it is give it to people who you know will give you an honest reply. Gordon, thank you so much for your time today and joining us in the Scottish Wheel podcast. That's great, Kenny. Thank you very much for the time and thanks for having us on. So, all short story entries must be uploaded at www.whiskeyglass.com forward slash crime hyphen short 
story competition, with the competition closing at midnight on Hogmanay. You can follow Scottish Field on our social media. You can find us on Twitter at www.twitter.com forward slash Scottish Field. We have a Facebook page, www.facebook.com forward slash Scottish Field. Or you can see our Instagram page at www.instagram.com forward slash Scottish Field Mag. That's M-A-G at the end. And of course, you can pop by our website, www.scottishfield.co.uk, which contains unique content that you won't find in the print magazine, as well as links to purchase the magazine online in physical and digital formats. That's all we've got time for this week, and we'll be back next week with more guests. In the meantime, have a good week. Be seeing you. <laughs>